0: And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together. I like that, don't you? That says fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. There's a lot in here, so hopefully we'll we'll get through it. But in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Man, he's explaining a lot here. Let's pray. Father Lord, help us now as we go through and we look at this scripture. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, the apostle Paul, he is now he's going to move on to his his last sort of metaphor, I guess you could call it, where he's picturing the church as a temple, right? Imagine the temple is still up, right? And, and Paul is picturing the temple and looking at the outward temple, right? We know that we are the temple of the living God, amen? And the church is, and so are you. As saved people, you are the temple of the living God, right? Your body is, but the church in that sense is. And the final one will be in heaven, that final one that will all come together and be one in heaven, right? That's the finished product. Right now we are we are pictures of that we are uh, separate bodies, right? Of 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 Christ all over. One day we will be the culmination of all in one in heaven, all one together. See that all it, it never was the goal of God to have all His people one on earth. That was never. That's a lie. That's a, that's that's a that's not what the text says in John chapter 17. That's not what His prayer was. It it, it is it is a future tense that we will all be one. In heaven. Now, we are all one here, but one body here, as children of God of Old Pass Baptist Church. We are one body together, right? We are in unity. I don't expect to be in, in that same type of unity with churches everywhere or with saints everywhere. We're not going to have that. But that's one day we will when, when we're in heaven and we're perfect. Because right. this flesh gets in our way. Right. It's in the way of that, right? It will be until we go home to be with the Lord and we'll be perfect, amen? And then Jesus will, will, uh, will lead the flock, amen? Uh, and we'll all be one with him. So, but he, what he's explaining now is he's explaining a building. He's explaining ye are God's building. He says that in 1 Corinthians, that ye are God's building. And uh, we'll, we'll read that verse here too, but he's explaining a temple and, and how the temple is built and he's using the examples of a builder and and this is this is the only way that you could successfully build something right when you build it so he talks about a cornerstone which we'll talk about he talks about the foundation of it he talks about the foundation of the building he talks about the cornerstone of the building right and then and then you and I we are lively stones We are part of that building. We are lively. We are not dead stones, right? We are lively stones, Peter says. So we'll get into that too tonight and explain that. But number one, built upon the apostles and prophets. That's the foundation. The first thing we notice is that the church, this new man in Christ, this body, this building, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church is part of something larger that is called the building and that holy temple. The, this will eventually be the new Jerusalem in which all things will be one in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 10. If you look at that, that's the future built. It's being built now. That final church all together as one is being built now. It's being added to now. We are complete here now today, but we are being added to that one that will be there in heaven. Amen. That one final building in heaven, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Amen. That's, that's what's coming. That's what God is doing. So we have to understand that. Uh, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Revelation 22 verse 3 and 4 talks about that, that that we will be there, right? And the throne of God is there and the Lamb shall be in it and His servants shall serve Him. You will see His face. You know, no lost person will ever see God. When they're judged at the white throne judgment, they're judged by Jesus Christ. Now, he is God manifest in the flesh. I'm not saying right, that, right. that he's not, but what I'm saying is they, God is the spirit. The Father is the spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. They're not going to see him. That's they're going right. to see Jesus right. because all that judgment has been given over to Jesus. That's they will right. never get Amen. to see God. Yep. They will never get to see the Father. But you and I as children of our Father in heaven, we will see him in all his glory one day when we are perfected and we are no longer marred with sin or no longer touched with sin, when we are in heaven, we will, as his children, go and sit with him. Amen. Just like we will dine with him. Amen. That's, that's, that's for the saints. That's not for the lost. The lost, they'll, they'll see Jesus. Jesus will judge them. He'll have the angels cast them into, into hell. That's what happens to them. Boy, it sure doesn't have to happen, though, does it? God is merciful, sent Jesus to die for your sins and to be buried and to rise again from the dead, that in him you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. It's all there. Jesus is there. I was witnessing to a man yesterday. Brother Lee and I were for, for a while, a couple hours yesterday. We talked to a man yesterday. And you pray for that man. I, I listed his name. I won't say it here, but uh, I listed his name there on, uh, earlier on the chat, I think it was, or maybe I mentioned it somewhere, but, uh, oh, I mentioned it on my broadcast, but you pray for him. Pray for that man. That man, uh, you know, had a lot of good questions. But you know what? There comes a point in time when you have to tell them, you know, you, you've got it because they're not quite there of their understanding. yet. You ask them, you need to go to God and you need to ask God to reveal these things to you. I said, you open that King James Bible up and you read the book of John and you start reading the scriptures and you ask God to reveal whether these things are so. He said, and if, I, if he doesn't show me, then, then that means I'm, I'm just done. I said, no, he will show you. He will show you. If you ask him, he will show you. He will not. He will. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll show you. You just ask him to. He will. And be relentless and ask God to show you. He'll show you. Amen. He will. That's, that's the promise I can give to every man that God will show you if you want him to. If you ask him to, he'll show you. Amen. That's the goodness of God, right? God will show you. Yeah, nothing wavering, right? Ask in faith, believing God that, that God, Lord, if this is for me, then show me the truth. I remember when Carrie did that. I remember when you did. You told me you did that. It was a, uh, a week before she got saved. I had preached, and I think she was at, that Saturday night. She she asked the Lord. She had told me. She asked God, God, if this is right, and I really am lost. Would you please show me? And He did. Amen. He did. He showed her that next Sunday. She got saved. I'll never forget that. That was 17 years ago. 16. 16 years ago. You're not that old yet. Neither am I. So 16. That's right. We'll save a year. Amen. But God will show you that. You know, each church is a building. And each church is part of the larger building or the temple described in Ephesians. Uh, Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at that. This is, so Paul's, Paul's metaphors that he's using here, his examples that he's using here, he's using, by the way, he explains it. He explains it when he gives you a picture, an illustration, or a metaphor, whatever you want to call it. He explains it and he teaches it. Right. So when people try to say, well, this, this certain thing is just a metaphor. Well, not if God didn't explain it, it's not. He, he explains those things so you understand what they are. And here he's explaining what that is. He explains the building. He explains the foundation. He explains the importance of the cornerstone. He's telling you what he's doing. Because he's telling you he's identifying the cornerstone as Jesus Christ. He's identifying the foundation of the building, right? Well, the foundation of this brick and mortar building right here. Well, if this is even brick, I don't know what it is. But but whatever this building's made out of is the foundation of it. it's not Jesus Christ. But the foundation of his church. The, is, is, the, is, is built upon the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Amen, that's his church. So he explains that metaphor. So when somebody tries to tell you, oh, something is a metaphor, whatever, and it's not explained like that, right? Explicitly, it's not explained. Eh, they're playing games. They don't want a literal meaning. That's right. They don't want something to be, like the sun rising, they don't want that to be literal. No, that's not. Sun really doesn't rise like that. That's not how it works. doesn't really move like that. Just look, gives the appearance like it moves like that. Oh, so, so God's basically dumb. You're saying, and he put that in there and because he didn't, God didn't know how to explain to you that, this, that, that about the sun, right? He, he didn't know how to explain that to you. God couldn't get that message across to you. You couldn't understand that. He couldn't make you to understand that. Nonsense, absolute nonsense. But you know what? People could do a lot to go around the scriptures. They'll, they'll yeah. do a lot to do that won't they they play a lot of games to not do right it's like people that try to try to do a lot of things not to have to work right <laughs> they work harder not working than they do if they just went to if they just worked wouldn't they okay let's look at this in first corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 for we are laborers together with god Ye are god's husbandry Ye are god's building according to the grace of god which is given unto me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Amen. So Paul said he was a wise master builder. Why did he say that? Because the foundation, right, is upon the prophets and and the apostles. Now I'm going to explain that to you lest you be confused, because we're not Roman Catholics. So so I'm going to explain to you exactly what they're saying, what Jesus is saying there, or, or what the Apostle Paul is saying there about the foundation and how he's explaining that. Because if you, if you miss it, you'll get it wrong. You'll turn into a Roman Catholic if you're not careful. So we'll, we'll make sure that doesn't happen, all right? Both Israel and the church are seen in the New Jerusalem, by the way, with the names of the 12 tribes inscribed on the gates and the names of the 12 apostles inscribed in the foundations of the walls. Turn to Revelation 21, verse 12 through 14. That's important, why? Because we're all gonna be there one day, those that are saved and those that are redeemed. And, and you, have the, you have Israel as that separate entity that's going to be there too, right? And, and you have the 12 tribes that are represented, and then you have the 12 apostles which are represented, and what do you have there? You have all of them being one in the, in the new Jerusalem. Amen. God's going to do that. Isn't that something that'll all be over, won't it? All that strife and all that enmity and all those other things will be all done away with. What a blessing that'll be. Won't be any more violence. Won't that be something? Uh, let's see revelation twenty one verse twelve, and had a great wall, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed in a measure the city and, and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. So we could go on and on and read about that, but, but basically what he's explaining is that the apostles are there, right, are represented there, and Israel's is represented there, 12 tribes of Israel represented there, and the church is going to be there, amen? That's one church one day. That's when you can call it the church, and it won't be Roman Catholicism, it'll be the Lord's church. Amen. Jesus called it my church. That's what he called it, right? He said my church. That's, right. that's the one that's going to be there, amen? All, all together the temple is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets New Testament scripture was given under the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit of God turn to Ephesians 3 5 that's why these jokers that are false apostles deceitful workers that they're lying these people are not apostles they don't have revelation from God and they never seen Jesus Christ face to face they all lie and say they've seen Jesus Christ they're a bunch of liars they're lying to you the revelation was closed in revela- with john and that was the end of that why there was no need for it they were given gifts and they were given gifts to finish the scriptures and once john finished the scriptures and it was over guess what the gifts were done why they weren't needed any longer they weren't needed the the scriptures were there they weren't needed and uh, the, these people that are teaching, uh, that they say they're the, this, these, uh, I talked about them today, the NAR, right? The New Apostolic Reformation, these people calling themselves apostles and they're out there doing all this stuff. And then, you know, I, I talked about the speaker of the house is, is a NAR. He's, he's one of those charismatics and, and there are all, all these people are excited about these charismatics and are all these Christian, oh, there's a good godly man in the, in the house of representative. Uh, no, he's not. He's a stinking Pentecostal. He's a charismatic. They're with dominionists. They're dominionists. They're they're trying to take dominion over on the government, and they're trying. What are they ushering in? They think they're going to usher in the kingdom of Christ. What do we know they're going to usher in by the scriptures? Antichrist. And then, then, then connect the dots. Once you connect all these people back, who do you go back to? The man of sin. The pope. They're all working with him, every single one of them. He's the one that started all of that. He started the charismatic renewal. He is the king of false apostles. He calls himself the successor of Peter. The only thing he's the successor of is Peter's denial. Not his repentance. Amen. (laughs) Right? We know that to be true. Ephesians 3, verse number 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So the scriptures, the new Testament scripture was given unto the apostles for them to reveal. That's why Paul, as one born out of due time, Paul is revealing most of the new Testament revelation. John still has his part, right? But Paul delivers what? Is it two thirds of it? That that or three fourths of it, maybe maybe two thirds of it is 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 uh, Paul the the Apostle to the Gentiles is revealing the mystery. He said it was given unto him to reveal the mystery. We're going to talk about that when we finally get to Revelation cha- or excuse me, Ephesians chapter three. We're going to talk about Paul's revealing of the mystery because he's still doing it now in Ephesians two. He's revealing the mystery. He's explaining it. He's telling you the mystery that Jew and Gentile is in one body, and it's a new body that's formed. It's not it's not anything to do with Israel. It's a new body, right? And those that are saved, Jews, can be a part of that new body. That's how that's what he preached. That's why he always went to the Jew first. His heart's desire was that Israel might be saved, right? He wanted them, but he knew the nation wouldn't be saved. He knew the nation rejected their Messiah, but he knew that individually they could be saved. Amen. Because remember, as a nation, as a whole, blindness in part has been given unto Israel till the fullness of the gentiles come in right so blindness in part what does that mean well as a nation they're set on the side they're not they're not going to be blessed like that they're not going to be they're not there's not going to be a national revival of israel until things change right but there's not going to be right now what, so what is God calling men calling men out of Israel calling men out of all everywhere to save them there isn't one Jew that can't be saved in Israel not one God can right. save yeah. every single one of them he wants to or any one of them right. if they'll repent and believe the gospel he will save them yeah. amen right. Pastor Jeffrey's a, a Jewish man and he was saved yeah. right now he's a Baptist preacher up there preaching the gospel we're going to go out and preach to some Jews when we're up there amen I'm looking forward to it I want to do that You ought to love those people. Don't hate those people because they're wrong. You're wrong too. God had mercy on you. He said, don't be proud against them. Don't vaunt yourself against them, but you have mercy on them, right? You you care for their souls. You don't hate them, right? The world's going to hate them because they're being set up to hate them for a reason. The New Testament contains the rule of God's family and the laws of the kingdom. The apostles laid down the foundation of the New Testament. Scriptures, uh, the New Testament scriptures and passed off the earthly scene. No longer needed. We don't need apostles today. They were there for a purpose. Once the foundation is completed, the foundation's layers work is finished. You're not I mean, you don't need no more apostles. They they were the foundation. But was the scripture saying that that they were the foundation yes it says that but what about them was the message the message they had what was their message well what peter said thou art the christ turn to matthew chapter 16 you're going to see what see the pope would teach you that while you see um the the church is built on the rock which is peter no 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 jesus is the rock Jesus is the rock. What what about this when Jesus said this to Peter? This is what Paul is saying. Do you see how Paul is saying the exact same thing that Jesus said? Watch this. Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, comma. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What? Upon what rock? The profession of Christ being Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right. What did the apostles and prophets do? They foretold about Jesus. Yep. That's why the gospel, that's, or that's why the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, because of what they did. They heralded the gospel. They brought it out. God used them. He touched them with signs and wonders to show Israel, but also to write the canon of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And then once the Scriptures were fulfilled, the apostles are done, and you start laying on top of the foundation. What did Paul say? As a wise master builder. yes. He added, right? Yep. As a wise master builder, he laid a foundation. And what did he say the foundation was? No no man can lay no other foundation but what? Christ, Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. That's why it says it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets because of what they did. They were ministers of the gospel. They preached Jesus everywhere. So that's the difference. So you can't, that's why you can't say, well, uh, Jesus, or Paul said that, the, that they were the foundation, right? So, therefore, it's built on these men. No, it's not. It's built on the message of these men. It's all built on Christ. Because what did he say? You can't lay any other foundation than Jesus Christ. Well, what foundation did Peter lay? Well, what did he preach at Pentecost when yep. 3,000 people got saved? Yep. He preached Christ. What did Paul preach? Christ. Yep. What did all the apostles preach? Christ. So what's the foundation? Christ. The message of Jesus Christ, right? That's the foundation. And that's what, that's what uh, they, they uh, don't like, the, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. They want the foundation to be a man. And they want to still say that they're the secession of that foundation. Well, that's not how a building works, right? I think the Pope's a little satanically confused about that, right? That's not how a building works, right? Once the foundation is laid, you can't lay another. It's already there. Likewise, the New Testament scripture is the faith one, that was once delivered unto the saints. It is the sole rule for faith and practice in every church throughout the age, right? In every biblical church throughout the age, this, this the message of the Bible, this King James Bible specifically for us in our time right now is the sole authority. It's their final authority. It determines everything in the, that you do. It should determine everything in you, with you do. I said this to a man when I was talking to him, when we were witnessing to him. I said, here's the difference between me and, and you in this sense. You look at everything and you're the standard for, uh, for what you do in your life. Like what you think is right, what you think is wrong, that's, you're, the, you're the final authority for that, right? Well, when you get saved by the grace of God and you have this book, this book is your final authority for everything. This is, this is what determines what, what we do, how we do it and why we do it. This is, this is the deciding factor. And I'm gonna tell you what, I can't answer that for you, but I sure can for me by the grace of God. And I hope that you can answer that. And if you're here today, tonight, and you can't, I'm not telling you you're not saved, but I will tell you that you're not surrendered, amen? Because if you're not surrendered to God's way in reading what God's word says very plainly, there's no mystery here, it's very plain. If you're not submitted to what this book says, then guess what, it's not your final authority then. You need it to be your final authority in life. It needs to settle all matters, amen, and it does. It's, man, I'll tell you what, there is such great peace when this book settles everything. I don't have to look around for an answer, it's right here. I just have to look for it in here and ask God to show me. But I don't have to look outside to the world, I wonder what I should do, right? I wonder what I should do. Well, I know, God says what I'm to do. You may not like the answer God gives you, but it's there. No man's gonna go to the judgment seat and say, You know, God, I I couldn't figure out what you really wanted from me. No. You're not gonna do that. Not at all. You're not gonna be able to, amen? God made it plain, He made it clear. Thank God. Man, you ought to praise God. You're not, you're not in some dark mystery religion where you don't know, know what to do and how to and you're waiting for some, some guy in a girly looking robe to come up and tell you what you're supposed to do with your life and to confess your sins too and to and to eat the body and the blood of Jesus and do all these other squirrely things. You have a book that you can go to right here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and read it and know exactly what you need to do. You ought to thank God for that. You ought not resist it either. You ought to thank God for it. Also, it's important to understand the prophets and apostles were temporary, and they spoke the words of God, and they gave us the messages, the New Testament. Uh, canon is formed, and now they are done away. They are no longer needed at all. That's another thing about the gifts that people don't understand. They're running around. Paul said, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. They're running around chasing gifts and wanting to do all this other stuff and, and seeking those things out when God gives the gifts severally as he wills, by the way. That's what he said. He gives it severally as he willed, not what you want or, oh, pray to speak in tongues. Pray. Where do you see that in the scripture? I don't say that anywhere, that you're to seek any of that stuff. You know what you're supposed to seek? Christ in his book. That's what you're supposed to seek. You're supposed to seek the word of God, not signs and wonders and revelations of it. It's all been revealed right here. It's all right there for you. But see, they don't want the finality of that. There's a lot of people that want to live it. They like to live in darkness. They don't want to live in the truth because then they got to obey it. So if I can just pretend like I'm confused all the time about it, or if I can live in confusion like that, then I don't have to follow it. I don't have to obey it. I can just live in darkness. I can just live that way if I want to. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way God wants it to be. It's important to understand those things were temporary, though. Those those apostles and prophets, they were going away. It's built upon the message, and that is Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation. Their work is over and done with and found in the written words of God. This is why we call ourselves... By the way, these Baptist forefathers, they, they, said, they called it apostolic, that their churches, and people made fun of them. Well, but they really meant it. They didn't mean signs and wonders. What did they mean? Church built like Jesus said. They, they led their churches like the scriptures said. And they were hated for it and killed for it because they said, no, church is defined in the Bible. It's defined in the Holy Scriptures. Church is not defined in what a man says in an office somewhere or the Pope or anybody else. The Scriptures define what that is. And that's the finality. Amen. People, that's why you have certain people today voting on, oh, should we let homosexuals do this? Should we let people do this? Should we let people? I mean, it's all right there. Why would you take a vote? By the way, you never vote on something that God's already commanded. No. Who do you think you are voting on something that God has said he hated, an abomination, right? Voting on whether you should have a woman pastor or not. So you're going to take something that's an abomination, you're going to vote on it. That's insane to me. And scary, by the way, that you have the audacity to think that you have mob rule over God's word. There's no mob rule in this church. If the, if the book says what it says, then we follow it. There's not a mob rule, right? We're not like mob rule. We're going to just do whatever we want. You know, if enough of us get together, we can ignore God's word. No. If enough of us get together and we want to ignore God's word, we're going to be in trouble. That ain't, we don't do that. We don't tempt God. That's dangerous. You don't tempt God. You don't play games with God. If God says something, we just obey it. That's what we do. Amen. As simple as that. It is simple, isn't it? It may not always be easy because our flesh loves sin, but it's simple. It's built upon the message and that is Christ and Him crucified. The work is over and done with, amen? So Paul talks about that. He compares the church of Christ to a city, to a temple. The believing Ephesians are represented as parts of that building the living stones out of which it is principally formed. Now, we're going to talk about these verses uh, a couple times here. So, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, because we're going to hit our next point here, uh, which is Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Amen? Um, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 4, 5, and 6 is what we're going to read here to whom coming, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Amen. Christ is that precious stone. Ye also as lively stones. So you're not old, dead, Roman Catholic cathedral brick and mortar, right? No, you're lively stones. We're not dead, we're alive. God's people have the Spirit of God in them, they're alive. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Amen. And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, that's Jesus, There's the foundation and there's the most important part of the building is what? The cornerstone. And Peter calls him the chief cornerstone. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Amen. Makes it clear, doesn't he? Jesus Christ himself, Isaiah chapter 28, verse number 16. Wanna see some prophecy about that? About the future building of the church, right? Of the spiritual house. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone. Boy, that's pretty specific. I'll say it is said that Isaiah is like the mini Bible of the entire Bible. 66 chapters. It would take us 20 years to get through that, right? If we preached Isaiah verse by verse, take us 20 years to get through that, right? But I, uh, 66 chapters, right? It's a mini Bible. It just is. It's a Bible in the Bible, right? Uh, of the entire... And it's just amazing what's in there. Amazing. Uh, the Jews and every You read uh, that book of Isaiah. It is powerful, the pictures of Christ in there. Absolutely powerful. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation A stone, a tried stone. Where was he tried? On this earth, on the cross. A precious cornerstone. Precious, why? Because the whole building is fitly framed together upon it. If Christ is not the foundation of this church, this church will crumble. Amen. It will fall, it will fail, it will bust up. If it ceases, if Christ ceases to be the foundation, that cornerstone, that precious cornerstone, then it all falls. Amen. It's important that we never lose sight of that. Jesus above all, amen. Okay, he says here, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Amen. In both Jews and Gentiles, meet and constitute one church in Christ, and Christ supports the building by his strength, in whom all the building fitly framed together. In another place, we are told that the foundation is Christ, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is a solid foundation for life and eternity indeed. It is in contrast to the foundation of sand in which unbelievers build. You know, if you build your life on sand, we sing that song, right? Right? Remember that? You, you sing that song? Do you know that song, Eric? Yeah, that's right. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down, right? Right? That's right. So you look, at this, you look at that truth here and what, it, what it's saying is if your life is built on Christ, it is a sure foundation. If your marriage is built on Christ, on the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, if he is the chief cornerstone of your marriage, it will make it. It will be strong. God will make it strong. Amen. It, he will make it strong. If your life, your testimony, your walk, everything is built on the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is a sure foundation. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what, God will show you he is a tried stone. (laughs) He'll show you that. God will show you that, that he will keep you in all your ways oh man, I'm telling you what, I can't praise God enough for that. You better understand and believe that in your heart. And if you don't believe it yet, God's going to bring you to a place where you're going to have to, that you're going to be in a place where you're going to have to see that God is merciful and that God is that sure cornerstone. He is that sure foundation. He is that precious foundation that the entire building is kept up upon. There's nothing stronger than that that sure foundation, amen, of Jesus Christ. You know what that does? There is this, and instead of the human philosophy that people build their lives on, so many Christians are so mixed up with human philosophy today. They, they, they have mixed the world in with the church. People don't know the difference any longer. They don't know what it means to follow the book anymore. They don't know what it means to lead, lead the, uh, live the book anymore. They don't understand, they've mixed it with so much garbage that they, they have so much man-made philosophies in there, so much human reasoning, right? Man-made religion, self-righteousness, humanistic psychology, evolution agnosticism, atheism, Marxism, critical theories, New Age mysticism, all of those are faulty foundations that fail. They will fall. All of them will. The Lord Jesus Christ, he can be rejected, he can be ignored, but he cannot be escaped. You will never escape him. You will see him at the judgment day. If you escape him in this life, you haven't escaped anything. You will stand before him and be judged. Trust him now. Amen. Jesus said this and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Amen. When people try to walk away from God, when they walk away from the truth, when they don't build their life on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that sure cornerstone and that sure foundation, you are on sinking sand. You will not make it. And especially you, who have been taught the truth, who have heard the word of God preached to you, and have faithfully had it given to you, and you've been prayed for, and you've and people have have cried and wept tears for you to see you get saved, and have instructed you and taught you, and if you walk away. From that truth, you are on faulty and shaky ground, and it will absorb you, consume you, and then eventually destroy you. Amen. That's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. If you walk away from the truth to follow lust and the flesh and the and the lust of this life, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, if you do that, you do it at your own peril. But you do it with your eyes wide open, knowing that you have turned away from the holy command that was given unto you. Amen. Tell you, I'm warning you, friend. I'm warning you. In a building, the chief cornerstone provides the proper alignment for the entire structure. It governs the, governs the lines and angles of the other stones. It has to, Everything has to be perfectly set there for that building to, to, to go right, right? That cornerstone... What it does, that chief cornerstone has the proper alignment for the entire structure. That's how important it is. That's why Peter is, that's why Paul and Peter and Isaiah, they're calling Christ that that chief cornerstone because He's perfect. He perfectly lines the building up. He perfectly makes it work. Without Him, ye can do nothing. By the way, that's a lifelong lesson, did you know that? You're gonna forget that sometimes as a Christian. You're gonna forget along the way that without Christ you can do nothing and God's gonna bring it into your remembrance and show you and remind you that, remember, without me you can do nothing. Amen. When you start trusting in yourself, if you start looking to your own self-righteousness, even as a child of God, and you start looking at your own self-righteousness and how good you're doing and how good you think you are and how good, how good things are going. And you look at all the prosperity and the different things and you forget to look to Christ. God's going to remind you, Christ is going to remind you without me, ye can do nothing. Amen. It's important to give God glory for everything. If that building is the least bit crooked, the entire building will be imperfect. If it is weak, it will not bear the weight of the structure. Christ is the perfect chief cornerstone, and his perfection will be reflected in the entire holy temple of God. Amen. The stone which lies at the corner of two walls is what the cornerstone is, and it unites them. The principal stone, and especially the stone which forms the corner of the foundations of an edifice, the foundation stone upon which the structure is rested. Amen. I want you to consider this verse. Turn to Psalm 144, verse 12. I want you to consider this. I thought this was interesting. This is how our young ladies and, and, uh, and our ladies are a type of Christ. You look at this. Psalm 144, verse 12. It says that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. That our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. You think about that for a second—the foundation of a home. So now he's talking. Now uh, uh, David is talking about the structure of a home, right? The institution of the home and how daughters and how women are the cornerstones. They hold that thing together. So when you're training young ladies and you're and you're a mom and you're training them, you're training them to be mothers of their own someday or wives, wives someday and they are going to be the structure, the strength and the structure of that home. Everything is going to, the husband, it, what's that cornerstone? It brings two things together, right? Two walls together. Husband and the children, the mom, the wife, the children, the daughters are those cornerstones. They hold it together. It's important, isn't it? That's how you're a type of Christ, lady. That's how you are. That's how you fulfill your role as walking in the Spirit, being like Christ. Yeah, those verses aren't just for your husband. You think about warring a good warfare. You know, sometimes, ladies, I know because you're ladies, you, you may overlook those verses on warfare, and you may think, well, that's talking to my husband. No, that's talking to you. You're in a battle and a war. When you wake up in the morning, Satan doesn't want you to raise your children. Satan doesn't want you to nurture your children. Satan wants you to give up on your children. Satan wants you to, to like overlook their flaws and overlook their mistakes and the things that they do wrong and not to correct them and not to instruct them and be weary and well doing and give up and not keep fighting. He wants you to do that. He wants you to want to give up or get upset with your husband and get all crossways with your husband and cause a, 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 a terrible fight or an argument there and have the home completely unstable. That's what Satan wants to tempt you to do. Why? Because he doesn't want you to put your armor on and fight for your family. Well, do you think you think your husband is the only one that's supposed to fight for your family? You don't realize it at home that you're to be that cornerstone of the home and you're to fight for your family? You're, you're in the fight more than we are. We're not even there. So the actions that are there from a standpoint of the home, that is your battlefield in that sense. Now, I don't mean you turn the home into a battlefield by bickering and arguing. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that there is a a spiritual war that is going to go on in your house because everything that you want to teach from the scriptures is going to be resisted by the flesh and the devil. It, it, It is. But you think, well, no, that warfare stuff's just for my husband. Oh, no, it isn't. Every single thing that's in this book that's applied to a man is applied to a woman, too, in the fashion of her duties, not his duties. If you go try to fight his battle, you'll lose. You're not, that's not the battle you're supposed to fight. Yours is in the home. Yours is in your duties that you're supposed to fight. But see, you, you, look at, you tend to look at it sometimes and look at those verses and think, oh, that must be, you know, talking about soldiers and women aren't soldiers. Well, yes, they are in that sense. They just have a different battle. Your battle is to not act like your husband. That's your battle. Not, not to act like a man, but to keep your godly and meek and quiet spirit and direct your home and to do things according to the will of God, the way God has commanded a lady to be. That's your battle. You know what his battle is? Not to be passive. That he's careful not to be too passive. Because he just let things go sometimes. Men can They can be, be extremely passive at times. Too passive. Right? So they have, to get the, they have to make sure they do that right. Their heart is right with those things. Anyway, I thought that was interesting, the cornerstones there. I thought that was interesting, the way that is. Remember, lady, you're the most important earthly stone in that home. When it's all said and done, everyone's going to know that you spent the most time with your children. And what you did with them will be plainly seen because you spend more time with them than anyone. So the things you've excelled at will be seen and the things that you haven't will be seen. Ask God for grace to strengthen you in the, in the places where you need it. Amen. That's what you have to do. And he will. Amen. He'll show you. You might sit down at the table and eat some humble pie, but you'll be able to do it. God will give you the grace to eat humble pie. It don't taste that bad, really. I've ate quite a few of them. You don't get any whipped cream with it. There. <laughs> They're, they're a little bitter but right? right they're like a bottle of scott's bitters they're pretty nasty but uh, they'll help you amen they'll help you it'll help us humility goes a long ways it really does and when god shows us we need it amen so then if you are out of the home think about this if you're not fulfilling the duties of the cornerstone then the home crumbles right so why do you think Satan wanted to pull the stone out of the home, the cornerstones? Take them out. Teach them that they don't need to be polished cornerstones in the home. Just get them out there and make them, put them out in the wild field and let them grow like the plant does, the boy does. Well, he don't want them in the home. Why? Because he wants your family to be destroyed. That's, that's why. He wants your family to be destroyed. I, I mean, you realize that, right? Like, you get that. You believe that, don't you? Like, you believe the devil wants to destroy, and his, and his kingdom wants to destroy, and this whole antichrist world wants to destroy your, your family, right? Like, you, you believe that, don't you? Oh, I do. Like, I won't stop preaching it until I'm dead by the grace of God, that I'll warn you and, and cease not to warn you night and day, that this world hates the way you raise your children, teaches them the exact opposite, wants to trick them out, turn them into a bunch of sluts, turn the boys into a bunch of queers, and they want to they completely turn you into a clown show. Right. Not kidding you. Believe it. You say, well, are you sure about that? I am so positive about that. How do I know that? Well, look what they do with theirs. Look at, take one good look at the public school, the government indoctrination centers. Take a look at them. What do they do? Well, they indoctrinate them in the state. And what are they? Well, they're a bunch of Marxist perverts. Oh, well, what do you think they want to do with you? You think they like, oh, they, they like Jesus. They said it, right? They like Jesus. Sure they do. They like that little fruity one they invented in their mind. They don't like the one in this Bible right here. Just start preaching Jesus. You'll figure out how much they like it. Right? No, they, they want to destroy you. That's why they want to pull, pull your children out, pull you out of the home, get you away from there. Because they know Satan knows the stability of a home when a mom is single-minded, not double-minded, but single-minded on the work that God has called her to do. They don't like that devil doesn't like that. This world doesn't like it, hates it. I had a man say to me yesterday, he said, you know, I want to help my daughters be whatever they want to be. He said, if they want to be, if they want to be, uh, doc-, he said, well, well, you know, he, he said to me, well, you know, what if your doc- daughters grew up and they became doctors and got in the world and they, and they were able to cure cancer, what would you think? I said, I would think I'd be an utter failure. Whoa, really? Utter failure. And I would tell them that I think they failed. You would? You really believe that? Oh, absolutely. Because if you don't do what God created you for, if you don't fulfill the purpose that God created you for, we're failures. <laughs> I mean, if we, don't have a, if we don't do what God... Why would you think that that lady would be better... Why better doing that than she is at home like I said to the man why do you think I would belittle my wife and make her and make her think that she has to be a man in order to be be good enough right right exactly exactly why would you think that though why would you think that I said I said God didn't make us identical equal in value and worth absolutely but identical no way why would my wife have to be like me in order to be good enough? That's what I, yeah, exactly. That's the point. What if she went home and raised a bunch? See, you don't understand something. You young ladies, you have the opportunity to change the world. Like, I, I don't, I mean, you, you have the opportunity to absolutely change the world. I don't know how many young ladies are in this room, but, but raising your children for the Lord and teaching them and raising up young men and women, you, you will change the world for the glory of God, amen, you will. Just by doing that. More so than chasing after some vain glory out in the world that God didn't make you to do. And by the way, it has nothing to do with you having the ability to do it either. Because I've never denied the ability of a woman to do any of those things. It's the permissibility of it. Ability has nothing to do with it. Why would I want my wife to waste her abilities in the world? So they could use her? So they could use her up and, 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 and use my children up and use like they do with women? Suffer the things that... Uh... My goodness, that would be terrible. They, people are surprised when you say that to them, though. They just, they really can't handle that. They're like, really? You really would think that's a fail? Yeah, I would. Well, just like if my son decided that he just wanted to be rich at any cost and grow up and be rich and do all this, I'd be like, and he was the richest man ever, like that, and I, I'd be like, well, what would you say to that? I would say, well, I think I failed, because the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not wrong to have some money. We ain't going to have that much because we're Baptists, but, but, uh, but, <laughs> right? It's Amen. <laughs> we're not going to have too much, are we? But. But there's nothing wrong with taking care of things and doing all that and being kind and charitable. To others. But if, if that was their goal to be rich, like I don't, when I see people say that and they're Christians that they, they want to be rich, why? For what reason? Even if you have right intentions, I told a, a man that yesterday. He said, you know, he said Donald Trump was a, a really wicked man. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and but I said, you're just as wicked as he is though, Right? Like, I said, go ahead and ask me if I think, if you, if I think I'm a good person, ask me that. Because, you know, he thinks that he's a good person, you know, himself. He's, I asked me that. He asked me that. I said, no, I'm not. The, the Bible says that there's in my flesh, dwells, no good thing. No, I'm not inherently good. In order to be good like that, you have to be inherently good. And why did, why did someone else call Barnabas good? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost. And that was somebody else. Barnabas wouldn't have told you he was good. Huh, how do I know that? Well, I saw what the Apostle Paul said about himself. <laughs> he, said he, was the, he said he was the meanest of the Apostles, you know? He was like the lowest of the, the less of all the Apostles, right? It wasn't meet to be an Apostle, he said, but God. Amen? And that's how I live my life, but God. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I, th- I told that man, you and I are capable of any wicked thing in the world if we give over to it. And if you're not saved, you're definitely going to be given over to it. And I said, you haven't had the opportunity to do what a billionaire has. He goes, well, if I had a billion dollars, I'd do this. Yeah, right. I've heard a lot of people tell me what they'd do if they got wealthy. And you know what that wealth does? It corrupts them, most of them. If they got a billion dollars, take a look at the lottery. How many of those people go bankrupt? Like almost all of them, right? You say, well, that wouldn't happen to me. I would never do that. Really? Within four years, Right. And here's what I said to him. I said, you know what? You haven't had the same opportunities of evil possibly as he has. But if you got thrown in that mix and you got handed a billion dollars to live evil, I'll tell you what, you might do the same thing or worse, right? So it's, it doesn't mean that, that, that I'm not any better than those people. I'm just better off. And that's what I tell them, too. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I have the Holy Ghost. Thank God. Amen. That's what makes me different. And that's what makes anybody different. If they're saved. Psalm 118.22. We're going to finish up with this point. We're not going to get to build the building fitly framed together. Lord willing, we'll finish that next week. Amen. But that's okay. We won't keep you too late. Dave's looking tired back there. I better get him home at a decent time here. All right. All right. All right. I'll keep yelling at you then. All right. (laughs) Psalm 118, verse 22 The stone which the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner. How about that? How about that? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. That's an Old Testament prophecy. That's a messianic prophecy, right? Of the Messiah that would come and what he would do. It's the Lord's doing. He said, God's going to do this. That stone which the builders refused. Who is that? That's Jesus. They refused him. They wouldn't, they didn't want him. They would not have this man to rule over them, right? The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Isaiah 8, 13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Amen. Boy, we only have a little bit more to go. I think I can finish this. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. We'll keep you. I'll, I'll, I'll try to hurry through it here. I only have a couple more here, and then we're done. Building The building is fitly framed together. Let's go to Ephesians 2.21. I'd like to get into Ephesians 3 next week, and I think we're close enough to finish this out. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. The temple is fitly framed together. God is the builder of builders. He saw the completed building in eternity, designed the blueprint, and is assembling the building with living, lively stones, each placed in the structure as God sees fit. Remember that verse on lively stones? That's what God is doing. The living stones are sinners who receive the gospel and are made alive in Christ. The redeemed do not choose their gifts and calling. They humbly submit to what God gives them. Amen. The spirit divides to every man severally as he will. The gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's building. It is a building of a spiritual nature and will abide forever. This is fitly framed together. It consists of various parts as a building does. Some saints are comparable to beams, some to rafters, others to pillars. These are all joined and united to one another and are set in an exact symmetry and proportion and in a proper subservience to each other and so as to make for the good, the strength and the beauty of the whole and it all centers in Christ. He has the great concern in this building. He is the master builder and the foundation and cornerstone and it being knit together in him. By the way, another point to make here about this temple, it says it's growing. It groweth, it says. Present tense, indicating continuous action. The temple is growing as living stones are added through the preaching of the gospel. Growth in both persons and in grace. By the way, the longer you're saved, the temple will grow in persons, but it'll also grow in strength and understanding and grace and maturity. That's what happens. That's what God's promise is that he would mature you. You're going to grow. God's going to grow you. That's what he does. The temple is a holy temple in the Lord, it says. It is set apart from the world for God. It is per- a purchased possession. Holy in position today and destined to be holy in practical character. It is holy because it is in the Lord. It is Christ who makes the believer holy and makes the entire building of God holy. We don't have inherent holiness. We have it imputed to us by Christ. We have Christ's holiness, none of our own. Amen. Wouldn't do you any good anyway if you had any. (laughs) Amen, because it's tainted. We have Christ's holiness. The temple is the habitation of God through the Spirit. It is God's eternal plan to dwell in this spiritual temple, composed of all the redeemed. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In this present age we live, in God dwells in the individual believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and in the congregation of believers. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians three sixteen. So Paul deals with the individual in Corinthians, but he also deals with the congregation as well. We believe that the Holy Ghost brings the body together. I believe that. I believe that there's no way that we would be a church without the Holy Spirit. Amen. We wouldn't be a bit, it's the Holy Ghost that does that. He brings, he adds to us. He does that work and it's complete and whole. And then he adds and it's still complete and whole. Isn't that something how that works? But that's the way God does it. That's the way God is. The ultimate fulfillment is the new Jerusalem, though, when we'll all be one one day in Christ, those that are born again. The ultimate fulfillment is in Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There is not a higher calling than to be the dwelling of Almighty God. Do you realize that, that as a child of God, you are sealed with the Holy Ghost under the day of redemption, meaning that you are the tabernacle of God? Let that govern your actions. Let that govern what you do and what you say and where you go and what you look at and what you contemplate and what you think about, that the spirit of the living God is inside of you, indwelling you. And that's why the Bible warns us, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Because he's with you. Amen. And he's in you. And you ought not grieve him. Again, we see that the temple is the habitation of God. It's Trinitarian, the Father. It's the Holy Temple and the Lord, the Son. It is the habitation of God through the Spirit. There you go. See, you have to miss the Trinity on purpose. You just have to not want to see it. You have to, somebody has to teach you that that's not there even when it's right there (laughs) because it's all there, right? It's very plain and simple. I like this as we close this. One man said it this way. And so the chapter that began with the description of Gentiles who were dead in trespasses and sins, they were depraved, they were diabolical, they were disobedient. It closes with those same Gentiles being cleansed from all their guilt and defilement and forming a new dwelling place of God in the spirit. Amen? So he starts the chapter off explaining what you were, and now he's explaining what you are now. Think about that. At the end of chapter 2, that's what he does. What a high and glorious calling the believer has in Jesus Christ. He is raised from death to life. He is made a part of God's eternal temple. He is indwelt by God. He is an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. He is seated in the heavenlies in Christ already. He is an external and eternal exhibit of God's amazing grace. Amen. That's that's The best thing to preach to people is what Christ has done in you. It's the most powerful witness that you can ever give is a personal testimony of what Christ did in your life. By the way, that's the same reason why Satan wants to attack it all the time. That's why Satan wants to attack your testimony. Make, try to make you doubt it. Why? Because it's the most powerful example of Christ's grace living that can be seen outside of the word of God. So he doesn't want you to, he wants you to doubt that and fear that and not be strong and bold in the Lord. Why? Well, because it, it's most effective. Look, every time Paul preached his testimony, he would give it to people. It would affect people greatly, right? That's, that's because that's the power of, of, of the testimony. Satan hates that doesn't want you sharing that with people. It's something we ought to give to people, our testimony. Let them know how Jesus saved us when we preach, what, how God changed us and made us new creatures, what he did for us. Amen. It's important. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your building. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for, the, for Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And all the building is upon, Lord. And Lord, you told us, casting all our care upon you, for you careth for us. Help us to do that, Lord, in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the power of God unto salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.